Now, obviously, we are in a fun series right now where we are taking a look at some of the crazy twists and turns that life can bring. Like, none of you guys thought you would, you know, wake up and play a recorder as part of Bad to the Bone today, or maybe you did. Um, Let me this back over here. Great. Well, good deal. Well, welcome again to Horizon. It is fun to be with you as together we continue to explore this topic of tales of the unexpected. And we've been looking at these stories from the Bible, accounts of people's lives that took a crazy twist or turn. And I love the fact that the Bible is chock full of stories, stories of people just like you and me, because we intrinsically connect with story. I don't know if you know this, um, but we are addicted to stories, I would say. And if you want proof, right now, just in American television, I don't know if you know this, but there are 500 and 60 individually scripted television series right now in America alone. 560. Like you can enter into the universe of 560 different worlds and follow characters and get sucked into plot lines. Um, And if that's not your cup of tea somehow, then you can go to YouTube. And, And this number will blow your mind. On YouTube alone in one day, 24 hours, across the globe, we consume 500 million hours worth of content every single day. Wow, we love stories. Um, But what I would say is we like stories that come with twists and turns and uh, cliffhangers and season finales for our entertainment purposes, right? Those pull us in and leave us on the edge of our seats. But when it comes to our lives and my story and your story, we really probably want them to be a little more consistent, right? Like, don't give me all the ups and downs. Um, not consistently boring. I just want my life to be consistently awesome, right? With just all the good stuff. Like life, God, good vibes, whatever you believe in. Just give me all the good stuff. That's all I want. And I would say it's even all we sort of expect. That if we're being honest, we kind of expect our lives to be like a rocket ship, right? The trajectory of our lives. That Sure, it might take off a little slow, But man, it's going to just keep going up, up, and up. You know, it's always going to be moving forward, um, you know, to infinity and beyond. The Buzz Lightyear kind of vibe is what we want, what we feel, and honestly, what we kind of expect sometimes. But really, and I'm about to turn on my back to you, which is faux pas, but let me show you what really life is like, okay? It's not like a rocket ship at all. It's a whole lot more like a pogo stick, right? Like life is not like a rocket ship. It's a pogo stick. And um, call workers comp. Okay, because uh, it's, it's more like this, right? We're like, you are up and down. You get to all watch this precariously swing the rest of my talk. Um, that life is really, it, it's up and down, right? It's not a, a rocket ship that's always going up. That Sure, there's moments that go up, but then there's other moments that come crashing down. And today we're going to look at this, this question of what do we do with life um, when it is the pogo stick, And I think there's only two answers, that we either continue to try to make our pogo stick life into a rocket ship. We try to mold the circumstances, squeeze them, grip it, and just, I'm going to make this a rocket ship. But the the last two years have taught me that I have, like, no control over at least half of the circumstances of my life, (laughs) especially the ones outside of our home and the world. So I can keep doing that, or maybe I can adjust my expectations that life is, it's just going to be a little more like a pogo stick. And to do that today, we're going to look at the story of a man named John, okay? And John, John lives a big life. He is going to make a huge impact on the world. Um, But John is also going to struggle with three unwise expectations 
about the story of his life. And to get to know John, let's go back in time, okay? We're going to go back to the Old Testament. And we've talked about this a few times in here, but there's prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. There's a whole bunch of them, dozens. Um, But there's also prophecies about a messenger who would come first. That before the Messiah came, there would be a messenger, sort of like a hype man. (laughs) Anybody in here old enough to remember Arsenio Hall? Right? You're probably due for a colonoscopy. So... Um, (laughs) But Arsenio Hall would come out and he'd be like, yeah, and try to get the crowd going when he came out. Woo, woo. You know, well, that is what this person was going to do. And this person is John. It says this in a, a book called John, not named after John, funnily enough. But it says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. So this is John, and John is actually the cousin of Jesus. And John is going to become a huge deal quickly, okay? Like his role is he's going to talk about the Messiah. He's going to tell people to like turn from their evil ways, and he's going to start baptizing people, okay? And he will become a religious celebrity, and like hundreds and thousands of people will come out to the wilderness to visit John. And like any good celebrity, he's weird, okay? He's a weird guy. He lives in the the forest, basically. He wears these sweet clothes that are made out of camel hair. Um, But he like, you know, ties the outfit together with a leather belt and just kind of cinches it up there. Um, he, He eats locusts and honey, bugs. He's just kind of this wilderness guy, but he's... People are going to be drawn to him. And he's going to become such a celebrity that that you're going to start to think, John, John, are you the Messiah? I mean, you have this sweet camel hair coat. You eat bugs. Like, are you the Messiah? Um, But he's going to straighten them out. He says, hey, I baptize with water, but there stands one, one among you who do not know. It is he coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal I am not worthy to loose. So he's saying, hey, I'm not the Messiah, and I'm not even worried to, like, touch his shoes, um, but he's here. That, that we won't look at it, but in the New Testament, John is the first guy that points at Jesus and says, hey, there's the Son of God. He, he tells his disciples to start following Jesus, and John will be the guy that baptizes Jesus. Okay, so there's this moment where John dunks Jesus, and the heavens open up, and God the Father speaks down. He says, that's my boy. In him I'm well proud, talking about Jesus. Uh, so John, John is living the life, right? Imagine this. John is on cloud nine. His whole life, he's been hearing about the Messiah, and he's the hype man, okay? He gets to baptize God. That's pretty cool. He's on cloud nine. His rocket ship is like, shh, you know, extending into the heavens. Um, if I'm John, let me tell you, I am strutting around that wilderness like a peacock, right? Like he's just out there strutting around. He's the man. It's going so well for him. But like we all know, so well that often in life, our pogo stick lives, that what goes up often comes down. And John will find himself in some trouble. He's going to speak out against the king at the time, a man named Herod. And Herod has taken a fancy for his sister-in-law and just taken her for his own. He just takes his brother's wife. And John will speak out about that. Herod won't appreciate it, and he will throw John into the darkest corner of his dungeon Okay, and from there, John's going to sit for what we believe is about up to a year. That John is just sitting in this dungeon. I mean, think about it. He goes from being like the strutting around like a peacock to sitting in a dungeon for a year. And as he sits there, he's going to start to wonder about this Jesus guy. 
right? Sure, I saw the heavens open up. Sure, I knew he was God, but I'm sitting in, in a dungeon. Like, these don't really equate. And he's going to send a question to Jesus, okay, that as John is in this dungeon, his friends are visiting him from time to time. And it says this, it says, Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? That John's confused because he's in the dungeon. And here it sets up, friends, what I think is the first unwise expectation that John has, that we have often for the story of our lives. And that is that life works like a vending machine. Now think about it. John's sitting there and he's thinking, hey, Jesus, okay, Jesus, I've been putting dollar bill after dollar bill into the vending machine of life here. I was the hype man. I teed the ball up for you. You've been crushing drives down the middle of the fairway. But when I was putting in those dollars, I was expecting to get some, like, good stuff back. Okay, I'm thinking, like, a little A2 Doritos. You know, Doritos fall down. I was going to get some Oreos, Jesus. I might even get some of those lifesavers that are on the bottom that nobody buys, Jesus. Um, I was thinking good stuff would come back when I put in my dollar bills. But instead of good stuff, Jesus, I'm getting back hot piles of garbage, okay? I am sitting in a dungeon. He's saying life is unfair, right? And the phrase we all tell our children over and over again. It's a lot easier to say than it is to live, though, isn't it? Um, and I, I think we've all been there, right? Where you've been in a relationship, a job, new business, where you were put in good crisp dollar after good crisp dollar into that machine. Not the ones from like the bottom of your pocket that you got to do this thing to. No, the good crisp ones. And you're just putting them in that machine. You're expecting good to come back. But instead, you get nothing or you get bad back. And you start to wonder, again, no matter where you are on this faith journey, you start to wonder about God or the universe or good vibes or whatever and think, is it, is it real? Why is life unfair? In 2019, as the uh, coronavirus was in its infancy, in Wuhan, China, there's a doctor um, they, named Wei Wenliang. And Wei is an eye doctor, and he works in the uh, hospital in Wuhan. And as the uh, virus began to spread in the early stages, um, Dr. Wenliang and his, his colleagues, they start to see what, what is happening, okay? And the government's trying to hide it at the time. So they want to warn their friends and their family. So uh, Dr. Wenliang, he goes on a, an app called WeChat or a site called WeChat, and he sends this, um, this message out to his friends and his family about, hey, guys, this is real. This is what we're seeing in our hospital. People are dying, um, and, and they, we've tested it. It's a SARS virus, like take precautions is what he's trying to tell his friends and family. Um, well, within like 24 hours, this message on WeChat will go viral. It will race around the globe. It will wind up on the desk of World Health Organization officials. And it will be one of the early alarm bells that will really sound the alarm that we were in trouble, okay? And the Chinese government is not going to like this. They're going to go arrest, or, arrest Dr. Wenliang. They're going to bring him in. They're going to threaten him, you know, tell him to stop spreading um, lies. They're going to release him. He's probably lucky to get out with just his neck. And, and when he gets out there, they're going to shame him. They're going to release a document that says, Dr. Wenliang is basically just a drama queen. We don't need to listen to him. He spreads rumors. He just needs to stay in his lane. Just keep looking at eyes. 
And, and Dr. Wenliang, he'll, he'll be disgraced, but he'll come back to work because he cares about people. And since his hospital is taking no extra precautions um, for this virus that they're denying, he'll catch COVID-19 and he'll die. Happy story, right? Like, talk about a raw deal. Talk about life being unfair. Talk about putting good crisp dollars into the vending machine and getting back horrible things. Like, what do we do with that? Because we've all been there. Well, let me, let me give you two pieces of advice, okay? The first will be spiritual. The second will be a lot more practical. Okay, the first one is this, is when we feel those moments and we're in those moments, to do what John did. Okay, John didn't just like brush it off. Again, he's sitting in the dungeon. He didn't just brush it off and say, oh, I just got to trust, trust this Jesus guy. Um, he didn't do the opposite either and throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, forget Jesus. I'm going to start worshiping like the sun god or something. No, he like, he sent questions directly to the source in the only way he could by sending them through his friends. That he, that he sent questions to Jesus saying, hey, help me figure this out. Life is not going well. And friends, we can do that same thing. That, that God is big enough to take us beating on his chest and saying, why is my life going like this? So, so that's the first uh, suggestion. The second one is more practical. So this will, this will help you whether you're a follower of Christ or follower of Scooby-Doo or anywhere in the middle. Um, that when life feels unfair... It's helpful to remind yourself that sometimes life is more than fair. Right? We forget that, don't we? That, that, man, there have been the moments where I've been putting, like, wooden nickels into the vending machine of life or paper clips or belly button lint, you know, whatever. Nothing of value. And I'm just getting good stuff. Right? Like most of us in this room, maybe not all of us, but most of us won the birth lottery. Right? We were born in a great country to a good family and a good community with great schools and we did nothing to earn it except be born. In that situation, life is more than fair. Or most of us can look back on our careers, right, and we can think of a point, a moment, where we had this like arbitrary decision to make. Do we go into this market or this one? Do we move to this state? Do I partner here or there? You know, and in the moment, you really, you have no idea. You're just like, I'm just going to make the best decision I can. And you make that decision, and it just goes smashingly. It's awesome, right? Like it blows up, and 10, 20, 30 years later, you now look back and you say, man, that, that was just kind of luck, right? Like I just made a decision, went for it, and it worked out amazingly. That when we're down, like it helps to remind yourself, okay, sometimes life is more than fair. Life isn't always terrible. Sometimes it's more than fair. And if you want a real practical step to help with that, um, this helps me is to do when I'm feeling down. Is, uh, you've heard this, but we have a great relationship with IPM, so Interparish Ministries. And uh, I would guarantee you that no matter how unfair life is being to you right now, it's being more unfair to at least someone else <laughs> within 20 miles of where we're sitting. And it would help you, and it helps me when I actively step out. We have these brown bags right now where we're collecting personal care items. Okay, think toothpaste, deodorant, and the like. Um, they're in the atrium. Man, grab one of those this week and fill it and bring it back. And it's a small, tangible way to take a step. But John has no IPM bag, okay? John is sitting in his dungeon, all right? So you picture John. He's still in the dungeon, and he's becoming a little more and more jaded, all right? And we start to see what spawned his question. 
Um, If you remember earlier when I shared his friends came, it says this. It says, the disciples of John reported to him concerning these things. Well, what things? Skip a few verses down. Here's where we find out. It says, at that very hour, he, being Jesus, cured many infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. So picture this. Okay, John, again, he's still sitting in his dungeon making friends with spiders and mice and you know it's it's not a good existence and his buddies come to visit him and here's how I imagine it went okay they're like hey John John you got to hear this John do you remember Jesus yeah well you know the guy that you hyped up Jesus is crushing it out there John John do you remember do you remember uh Bob the blind guy yeah Bob can see now John isn't that amazing yeah that's 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 great for Bob um hey do you remember Larry the leper yeah, yeah, I remember Larry. Larry has the best skin ever, John, now. He's got the skin of like a nine-month-old baby, okay? Like he is great. And do you remember Lazarus? You know how Lazarus died last week? Yeah, I was sorry to hear that. Oh, Lazarus is alive now, John. <laughs> you know, and he, they're going on and on about what Jesus is doing. And John is sitting there in that cell doing what you or I would do. <laughs> He's going, why not me? Why not me, Jesus? Like, I'm the hype guy, right? Woo, woo. Like, I'm the hype guy, Jesus. Why not me? Why are you doing all this stuff for other people? And it brings us to our second unwise expectation for life, that that life is like a copy machine or a Xerox machine. That, man, what I see in somebody else's life, it, it should happen in my life. But, but unfortunately, what I found is like life throws this one-two punch all the time where the first punch knocks you down. You're like, man, life is not fair. This is not good. But then the second punch <laughs> is you look around, and for everybody else, life is up, right? Everybody else looks like it's amazing. Everybody else's rocket ship is like going to the moon. You know, you're getting hit in the head with your pogo stick. Um, and you look around, and there's always that one person, you know, on your social media feed where everything goes amazing for them. Like, do you guys have that friend? You know, you're watching it, and you're like, Okay, you know, they post their before and after pictures. They're like, yeah, you know, I lost 30 pounds in 10 days by uh, meditating. Yeah, it was, it's, been, it's been a journey. You know, and you haven't eaten carbs or gluten or fat or sugar for six months. You've been eating cardboard and styrofoam. And you're like, I put on weight. Like, what gives? You know, and over here, this person, their kindergartner just got into Juilliard. I didn't know that could happen. Okay? And your kindergartner, you just got to keep Johnny from shoving crayons up his nose. You know, and you're like, I want that life, please. Um, well, well, do you know what will melt your joy faster than a popsicle in July? Reading someone else's story and longing for it to be yours, right? Like I had a friend who won tickets to the Super Bowl, <laughs> him and his son. And I had to struggle with that for days. I'm like, why him? Ugh. You know, I'm like longing for that to be my story. But friends, we got to keep our eyes on our own page. Because God doesn't work like a copy machine. In the Bible, there's a lot of names that um, we're told that God goes by. From father to provider, protector, counselor. There's a bunch of them. But one of my favorites is author, that that God says he's the author of our faith, the author of eternity. And in one place it says he's the author of life. And and typically we use the New King James Version, but in this particular verse, I really like the New New Living Translation where it translates the word prince as author. Um, 
And it says this, the writer of Acts is trying to tell people who Jesus was and about the story. He says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Think about that title, author of life. That if God is the author of life, like, why would he ever write the same story twice? Right? He's God. And he's writing the story of, oh, say, like 107 billion people who have ever lived. Um, Imagine the beauty that he could create in each tapestry of life with twists and turns and ups and downs. And, oh, my goodness, the the beauty that, that God could create and does create, that he doesn't work like a copy machine. And, friends, I'm not saying that God creates every twist and turn in our story Because sometimes we do dumb stuff (laughs) that brings pain into our lives. And sometimes other people do dumb stuff that brings pain into our lives. But what I am saying is that, that, man, right into the middle of the darkest, hardest chapters in your story, the chapters that go by the titles of things like cancer, divorce, bankruptcy, death of a spouse or child, right into those horrible chapters. God is the author of life. He can reach down and he can write beauty right alongside of the brokenness. And he never says the brokenness isn't there. Just pretend there's no pain. He says, no, right alongside of that brokenness, Ryan, I can write in beauty and they can coexist. That that with God, beauty and brokenness can grow alongside of one another. A few months back, our family's getting ready for a Halloween party, okay? And we have six children. Six children. Lord help me. No, we have four children. There's six of us. <laughs> I guess if you count me as a child, we have five, but not six. Uh, so anyhow, life is crazy. There's times around our house where it's not a rocket ship or a pogo stick. It's just a jackhammer to the head, you know? Um, and on this night, we're trying to get out of the door for a party, okay, and, and it's just not going well. We're having conversations about everything, really just arguments, okay? We're having arguments about coats because for some reason, teenagers hate coats with like the hatred of a thousand sons. They will not wear a coat, and you're like, it's 30 degrees, but anyhow, we're arguing about like food being carried to the car, like we're arguing about how long we're going to stay at the party, and eventually... Okay, it's, it's muddy outside. It's an outdoor party. Eventually, we get the shoes because we're like, guys, let's not wear our, our new shoes, our school shoes. Um, let's go get our older shoes, you know. And, and one of our kids, I won't mention any names, um, one of our kids is just refusing to do this, okay? And it's just this back and forth. And the tension is just mounting and growing in our, you know, between the six of us. And eventually, he decides, okay, I'll go get them, okay? And he stomps up the stairs. You know, and I'm thinking, okay, we're getting somewhere. We're going to get out of the house before midnight. Okay, and then he, he comes to the top of the stairs, and he doesn't come down the stairs, but his shoes do. <laughs> okay, he chucks his shoes down the stairs by accident, of course. Um, and they come flying down the steps, and they, psh, they bang into our wall at the bottom of the steps. And they hit our family sign, which you can see an example of behind me. <laughs> Okay, and this sign, I kid you not, it's on a shelf. It falls off of the shelf, hits the floor, and shatters into about three or four pieces. And I'm sitting there, and it's like, like I wish I had taken a picture, but I was far too furious to operate a phone. Um, But I'm watching it, and it does dawn on me, though, that like, 
man, has there ever been a more visual representation <laughs> for like what I am feeling about my family in this moment than right now? Like literally the very word family is lying broken on the floor in front of me. Like gang, the, the last two years has been hard. Like it's been hard on my family. I don't know if it's been peaches and cream for years, but it's been hard. And we're living in a pressure cooker and it's hard. And there's times where you're going to feel these moments that this feels broken. And if all we expect is for our families to be this rocket ship that just always upward and onward to infinity and beyond, when it's a, a pogo stick or even a jackhammer, we're going to think, oh, no, something's wrong. Right? Like, I'm doing something wrong. Maybe it's her. Maybe it's me. Maybe. And you're going to want to give up. Or at least you're going to want to go hide in the bathroom. That's a good tool I got. Um, but but we can expect it to be hard. And here's the fun thing, that right alongside of those broken moments in our family, God writes in beauty. That, man, I'll be driving one of our kids to one of their, like, 75 practices during the week, and I'll have this conversation with them about their lives, about maybe a fear that they're struggling with, about their futures, conversations about faith. I mean, my kids can ask some of the craziest questions. It's amazing. And it's, it's beautiful. And in our family, there are moments of unadulterated joy that my wife loves to laugh with our kids, uh, that she loves to pull jokes on them and scare them in the hallway. There's, there's joy in their laughter. Um, sometimes there's even cuddles. We have a six-year-old, so he's still really cuddly. And every once in a while, the older ones will maybe cuddle with like a side hug or something. But I, I still love every minute of it. Um, and then now, guys, as my kids are getting older, 16, 14, 12, and 6, um, the older ones, when they accomplish something that, that's, like, amazing, that, like, I never could have done at their age or maybe not even now, oh, man, is it breathtaking. You know, and I, and I go from thinking, looking at a broken family sign, God, why me? Like, why me? Why, is, why does my family feel broken right now? I, I go to thinking, God, why me? Like, why me? How am I so lucky <laughs> to be their dad? How am I so lucky to be her husband? Right? That the beauty and the brokenness that God can write beauty right alongside of the broken parts of our story. And that brings us to our last unwise expectation that John has, that I have. Um, and, and that is that our story is the story. You know, the, the Ohio State University, you know how they say that? The story. Um, that Jesus answers John. But John asked that question, hey, Jesus, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says this. He says, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. That Jesus doesn't give John a yes or no answer. Jesus says, hey, John, look at the evidence. Like, look at the evidence. All of the prophecies that you know about, John, that you've known about forever in the Old Testament, I'm doing every single one of them, John. Look at the evidence. I'm the guy. I'm the Messiah. Trust me. And then he throws in this one little line at the end that I uh, love. He says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Sounds a little cryptic, but I, I love it because what's happening is Jesus is saying, hey, John, I know you're feeling offended right now. And don't you feel that sometimes when life is unfair? That you feel indignant. A little bit of, why me? God, universe, whatever. Why me? 
And Jesus is saying, John, I know you're feeling that. I know you're feeling the indignation, but don't be offended. Because, John, here's the good news. Your story that feels so important, just like my story feels so important, just like your stories feel so important. John, your story can be a, a beautiful tributary okay, that flows into a much larger river. That your story, with all the twists and turns and unknown endings, that it can be a, a beautiful little tributary that flows into the grander story, John, which is my story. And John, wouldn't you want your story to find meaning and purpose and have purpose in the fact you're in jail by, by flowing it into the grand story, which is God's story? And that grand story is this, that the God of the universe created a people that he loved intently. And those people, like me and like you, they said, God, this is great, but I kind of want to do what I want to do. And we did what we wanted to do. We said, don't tell me what to do. And with that, entered into our world's brokenness and pain and death. I mean, did you know that death wasn't originally in God's design? But God, he looks down and he sees his children and they're, they're lost in pain and suffering and brokenness. And their stories are painful. And like a good dad, he says, I'm not going to leave them. I'm going to enter into the chaos. And Jesus comes and he lives 33 years lives a perfect life. He'll be, he'll be killed. He'll, he'll rise again, conquering death, once again offering to us a way to once again have chapters in our lives where we can experience no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain. That, friends, the invitation of the large story of God is to make our stories smaller tributaries that flow into it. And when they do, they can find meaning and purpose. And those moments where you say, why would God do that? Or why would a good God do that? Or why has this happened? That they can all be redeemed. Now think about it this way. And the band can start coming out now if they'd like. That what if our lives on this side of eternity, the chapters that come with tragic twists and turns, John the Baptist never gets out of jail. He'll die there. But, but what if the stories of our lives that, that, that are uncertain, what, what if those chapters on this side of eternity are a lot more like a rose? Okay, where there's certainly beauty, right? But then there's certainly also the potential for pain. There's, there's thorns. But what if... In God's wisdom, what if that's not the final chapter of the story? What if the story's still being written? Friends, I don't know where you are in the, the story of your life. If you're at a point where, the, again, the uh, pogo stick is landing and it, it's down and, and you're struggling like John the Baptist was to trust whether there could be a, a good God um, or if things are, are great, but the invitation here is this idea that, man, wouldn't you want it to be true that our stories, if we want them to be, they can be part of the grand story. That our stories that have so many unknown chapters with twists and turns, they can be flowed into the story where we know the ending. And this is how it ends. In a book in the Bible called Revelations, it says this. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus, man, lived a life that, that was where he was broken, that, that he experienced what we experienced, a, a life that was not fair, um, but that he would give his life to create the ultimate beauty of conquering death so that we could know you, so that we could one day taste a life eternal where there will be no more sorrow or suffering. Thank you that you make all things new. In your name, amen.